Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Javon Wilkes. Javon is the Executive Director of California Coalition for Youth, an organization that supports advocacy for youth in California. Well, welcome, Javon. I am so glad that you could join me for this podcast series for Aging Out Institute and uh, and that you've taken the time to share your story with us today. Thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to this time shared. Could you please share a little bit about yourself and how is it that you are connected with the foster care system? Yes, yes, for sure. Right now, today, I'm a father, I am a husband, I am a man of faith. And in combination with that, I also run the California Coalition for Youth. And what that is, is an agency that provides public policy and advocacy work with and on behalf of youth throughout California to make sure they have what they need to thrive. And as the executive director, I got engaged and involved in this organization at the age of 16. And during that time, I was in the foster care system. I got into the system from birth. Unfortunately, my mother had drugs in her system when I was born, and therefore it transitioned my life into the foster care system. And from there on out, I had to dabble within and and navigate the, the foster care system. And that's how I got involved in the foster care system. And because I was in the foster care system, I had experiences with homelessness and my experiences with homelessness gave me an opportunity to receive services, receive support so that I had what I need to get out of the life of experience and homelessness and into more care within the foster care system. But having a network of folks around me um, allowed me to also do some advocacy work because they were engaged in that work in the foster care. And I, I believe at that time it was a group home. And so I got engaged in the advocacy work and found this organization, the California Coalition for Youth, and they had young people doing advocacy work. Knowing my story and how I had to raise my voice to get the support and the services that I needed, I knew that and felt that, you know, because I was young, because I had all this trauma and these life experiences that, you know, my time here on earth was going to end shortly during my teenage and and young adult years. So I decided to commit myself to serving the community and serving young people. And one of those ways was being engaged and involved in the California Coalition for Youth. And ever since then, I believe what you can say that's, um, I'm 31 now, so age of 16, so that's 14, 15 years. I've been engaged in this organization now as the executive director with lived experience with homelessness, with lived experience dealing with mental health and and behavioral health, and with lived experience in the foster care system, and some, you know, diversion programs from juvenile justice. All of that has allowed me to have not just experience, but take that into my educational experience where I graduated from college. At that time, it was foster kids had a 1% chance of graduating college and I was able to beat those odds and continue on my journey. And here I am today as the executive director. Wow, that's fantastic. You know, that says a lot. And it, it tells me that you probably have been pretty resilient 
throughout your life? Because that's one of the key characteristics I think that foster youth have, the ones that are able to overcome their challenges and get past them and manage them is that sense of resiliency. Do you feel like you were resilient at the time? Yes, resiliency was definitely a part of the journey. It was always there and it was something that was, it was, it was just always there. Um, of course, didn't have the language, didn't have the word to say, yeah, resiliency was the reason I was able to overcome such adversity through my childhood. Resiliency was always there, but it was really just a self-love that I didn't fully comprehend where I knew I was worth more. And because I knew I was worth more, that I couldn't just allow for my circumstances to define my end result, my outcome, which I had no idea what my outcome would look like. And even to this day, having my dreams, like I dreamed of being an executive director someday. Did I know that it would happen at the age of 29? No, I didn't. But now that I'm able to live my dream, you know, one thing that comes with resiliency is the fact that you have protective factors. And those protective factors were my village. They were the folks who stick by me to this day, who I can call up and have a conversation, cry, laugh, be angry, vent. It's still part of my journey. So the conversation about resiliency was definitely there at the later stages of my life. In the beginning stages, it was just that I felt I was worth more and I wasn't going to allow for anything different. Right, right. If you could explain what exactly the California Coalition for Youth does and what it looks like for the youth you work with. I know you've mentioned advocacy, but could you explain a little more about that? So what the California Coalition for Youth do on a daily is one, we make sure that bills, legislation, policy aligns with what young people are needing and how they are requesting to be served through such entities like mental health, such entities like the foster care system. There's no entity necessarily for youth experiencing homelessness, but making sure that there are resources available to young people. So we do that in a variety of ways. CCY, um, which is the acronym for California Coalition for Youth, CCY, we are a membership agency. Because we're a membership agency, we have members throughout the entire state and in different regions of California, from Southern California, Central California, Northern California. And with those members, one, we get youth providers, youth serving agencies, and then we also have the privilege of having individual stakeholders and young people themselves, where one of the big things in which we do when it comes to advocacy work is we have two days, which is our executive advocacy day, where we bring nonprofit leaders, community members, individuals, and young people to the state capitol to do advocacy work. And considering COVID this year, what we did was we had it all virtual. All of the, the advocacy visits were Zoom meetings. And this was where young people got the opportunity to advocate for what they need to be able to tell their story in a way that not only protects them, but provides a sense of empowerment to the elected official to do something about serving them, to advocate and be champions for them. 
We also make sure that during that time that young people know what their role is in the advocacy world and in pursuit of policy, not only so that they can do it at the state level, but so that they can do it locally. For instance, considering you know November is Runaway and Homeless Youth Prevention Month, CCY puts together a toolkit so that they have proclamations, so that they have an outline for presenting press release to really bring awareness to what is happening within that young person's community. Again, we're statewide, so we got young people from all over the state. We got individuals from all over the state, community members, and of course we have nonprofit leaders who are, are part of our membership. So that is one way, which is again, our executive advocacy day. And another big one, which is how I got involved was our Youth Empowerment Summit. And our Youth Empowerment Summit over the years has just been majority young people, service providers coming together, energizing one another. We provide awards to legislatures or our assembly members, senators to really highlight their impact and them being champions for young people experiencing homelessness and those young people who are impacted by juvenile justice, foster care, and assortment of you know entities and resources to help them to thrive, to help the young people thrive. So our advocacy work is done in a big way during those two major events. Throughout the year, we have different young people speak at symposiums. We have young people put their insight into different pieces of policy, whether that be Department of Healthcare Services, whether that be through you know the foster care, I myself serve on different bodies in the, the state of California, from Child Welfare Council to foster care reform. That's not necessarily the word, but it's a foster care body. There's behavioral health. There's just many different bodies that I serve on. And of course, I bring the young people's stories with me, um, not to tell their stories, but to make sure that whatever they need in regards to their story is embedded and hopefully implemented and the plans moving forward when it comes to entities serving young people. Yeah, yeah. You do a lot. It sounds like you are much broader than just foster care, that you're working with all different kinds of youth throughout the state. Yeah. If you think about the foster care system right now, as we have it, I have family who are currently, you know, engaged in the foster care system. And the fact is, it needs to be better at serving the needs of young people. It needs to be better at protecting young people. And one of those ways in which to do that is to actually listen to the young people um, receiving the services. And so, you know, I go to these meetings, I do this work, and of course, with the young people too, some of them are with me. They come with their passion and their heart on their sleeve and their story as a sense of strength and power instead of being the victim of such circumstances, they are actually controlling that narrative and holding that as a opportunity for people to learn and do better and build confidence that it is possible, it is always possible, that young people are able to thrive regardless of their circumstances. It sounds like what you're trying to help show these young people is exactly what you were saying earlier, is that they're worth more than their current circumstances. Yeah, always. I like to think about it like this. Everybody, and this is this is everybody, and this this goes all the way down to that that newborn child that's born at this very moment. 
They are a shining light. They are a star. Wherever they stand, there is a star at that point in which they stand, and therefore that star is them. And so walking in their light and their strength and their truth is going to be empowering to them and their development. And of course, in order for them to truly thrive, they need that village. And so that means holding stakeholders, holding agencies, holding adults accountable to making sure that we provide them with something worthwhile in regards to what they will inherit from what we have built up, what we have torn down, what we have reimagined, what we have put in place in order to help them succeed in their autonomous journey at that. Right. Now, as an organization, what successes have you experienced through this work with the youth um, advocacy? What are some things that, some, maybe some changes that you've helped come to fruition? Um, you know, I, I definitely have to have a list in front of me, but off the top of my head, we were definitely instrumental in making sure that young people experiencing homelessness are acknowledged um, when it comes to funding resources that are coming down from the state government. I believe over the last four years, we've helped secure around about $100 million to support young people experiencing homelessness throughout California. And that's coming from 1.1 million going to serve young people experiencing homelessness. Um, when it comes to, again, like those young people that come out of the foster care system at the age of 21 now, where are they ending up? And so, like, for instance, with like some of the executive orders that have been executed during the time of COVID-19, um, we come to the table and advocated that, hey, no services should be canceled right now for youth who are in line with exiting in regards to their age. We need to make sure that they are taken care of regardless of their age right now because we are in a pandemic. Let's not exit kids. Let's not exit young people. Let's not exit young adults out into independence without them necessarily having a structure, especially during a time of COVID where adults can't handle this time, where they need support. So why would we be sending our young folks into this eerie time to be absorbed by a current in which we could prevent any additional trauma on their life, any additional negative circumstances that they may have to face. We've stepped up to do advocacy work in that. And also when it comes to like, for instance, Prop 64, uh, Prop 64 has distributed dollars through the Department of Healthcare Services. And so our advocacy was to highlight and bring to the table the needs of youth experience and homelessness, bring to the table the need of making sure that the funding is as flexible as possible because we know that nonprofits are on the ground doing essential work and having barriers to them executing that work to support young people in the immediate. Like, that's what we step up and, and bring that voice to the table and say, hey, how can we make these, these, these dollars as flexible as possible? And of course, sending out information to the community as to what funding sources are available to help them continue and make sure that young people's needs are taken care of. So you mentioned the advocacy to keep young people from being transitioned out of the system 
in the current crisis. How else has your work supported the needs of transition age youth in foster care? I'm guessing there's an overlap with homelessness as well. Yeah, and elected officials, community members, they want data. And we know that data highlights how young people are, especially coming from the foster care, at high risk of experiencing homelessness. Now, there's also data of like the, the point in time counts, or they call it the pick count, happening throughout the nation, where they go out into the community and basically do count of individuals experiencing homelessness out on the streets, in shelters, in you know, those temporary transition placements that are not necessarily you know, long-term sustainable housing where we're counting these folks. And as we're doing that, we're collecting data. And some of those questions have not been geared towards understanding if someone is coming out of the foster care system or juvenile justice or experiencing homelessness as a youth. Now, fortunate, we did get some of that data where we found that 50% of adults experiencing homelessness had their first experience as a young person, right? And then we also know that when young people AWOL, where are they going? There's been some reports out that young people that, you know, are AWOLing from their current placement of care are being trafficked, experiencing homelessness amongst a myriad of other non-healthy experiences towards their emotional and social development. So, you know, we, we know that there are a lot of intersectionalities when it comes to juvenile justice, homelessness, trauma. We can no longer sit idly by and allow for our young people to have homelessness as a marker in their life journey. We have to find a way to prevent that from even happening. And we know that preventative methods are essential to their long-term development, their long-term health. Absolutely. And so what kind of things do you advocate for specifically for the young people in foster care? I mean, I can certainly see some kind of funding, but what about like systemic ideas such as making sure that part of the transition is connecting to transitional housing programs or something like that? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and that, that's a, a great question. And I know right now the California Coalition for Youth is working with the California Children's Trust. We know that young people in the foster care are eligible for Medi-Cal, making sure that we have and are drawing down the match from the federal level. Um, we haven't necessarily done the best job that we could in drawing down those funding. So we know that that is essential to reimagining the way that California support children's healthy and development and, of course, their social and emotional well-being. On top of that, when it comes to housing, we are currently in the stage of doing, I would say, social gathering of young people and the providers to gather input as to how we are going to create a, a, a document create a platform for elected officials to buy into and add to their agenda in regards to what is going to be the best ways of supporting you in obtaining housing and staying within housing and having the wraparound services, the ongoing support, the opportunity for life skills, training, financial literacy, all of those things have to be blended into making sure that a young person has the basic needs. You know, when you think about the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, 
safety, security, food, all those basic necessities. And a roof over your head is part of that. And so we're working on different elements and different opportunities to bolster. And of course, that's going to take some reimagining and again, tearing down some systems, not for the sake of just tearing it down, but rebuilding it, reimagining it so that it can meet the needs of young people as they are going to inherit this world after I'm gone, after those folks in those high positions as gatekeepers are gone, and what are they to inherit as of right now, let's start that process to give leaving something great behind for them to thrive and for their kids to thrive and make supports available to prevent a need for going into juvenile hall, make it a point to keep young people within their families by providing them with the supports they need within the family settings. Like there's some things that we can do to prevent young people from being system involved. Right. It seems like a lot of what you do through this advocacy is really educating the decision makers and the leaders who have influence over the systems and programs and funding. But do you see that being in California is an advantage to the work that you do? Because it seems to me that there is greater awareness in California about the needs of transition age youth just because of the number of programs, Renaissance scholars and other programs that colleges have that help transition age youth who go to college. It just seems like you're ahead of the game there. So do you find that being in California is a bit of an advantage? Well, you know, I can only speak to California. Granted, I know that other places throughout the nation, throughout the U.S. have, you know, their approach to things. I believe in California, we still have an awakening that needs to occur as it pertains to youth that are not college bound, right? To the young people who are within the system and have been, honestly, there, there's been so many missed opportunities in supporting that young person within our mental health system, you know? when they go in for care and then there's no necessarily step down stages for support that person leaves at the high level of 5150 when they leave that level of care what care is or do they have access to right and so um here in california we have some complexities that need to be reevaluated assessed and made so that young like for instance pathologizing young people they have to have a diagnosis to get certain service well sometimes it's not true that a young person have a diagnosable mental health issue it could very well be that well in order for us to support this young person we got to slap them with a label so that they can get support and that label only hinders them it's now a barrier to them actually thriving in their talents in the way that they live life like some young kids you know they don't need to be labeled adhd they may just be active and need some alternative opportunities to help them actualize their gifts, actualize their energy, actualize the way that they process things and the way that their mind functions. So there are opportunities for us to dive into to present young people with the best route, the best way of them living out their truth. They have amazing talents and amazing responses and answers for us as to how to best support them. Right. 
Absolutely. I'm, I'm a total believer in, in listening to the youth and, and getting their perspective in order to inform how decisions are made, how programs are set up. We run an awards program. It's suspended for the moment because of COVID. But one of the things that we explore is how do you involve youth in the building of your programs and the strategies that you use? And how do you involve your youth in determining how to evaluate those? Totally a big believer in that. Yes. And we are too. I know that one of the ways in order to engage young people is pay them, right? You ask them to come speak. Well, what are they speaking to? They're speaking to an expertise that they have, which could be just living. Their story could help transform and support other young people, support agencies development. And if we pay consultants for their knowledge, if we pay consultants for their experiences, I think it's time to rethink how we engage young people and actually give them something tangible to embark on, to do, to help the system change. Not just checking the box if they're at the table, but hey, paying them and actually giving them a task and allowing them to have the space and the time to see that through. Now, granted, that, that considers mentorship, that con considers time. Well, these kids are our kids. Like, and, and I say kids not for the sake of diminishing their capabilities, but the fact that my, like, my daughter is my child. That's my kid. And when I've done this, the in-person, the direct service support to young people, like I called them my kids. So if we were walking across the street as a group and a car was about to hit one of them, yo, you just tried to hit my kid. So we got to take that on and hope that whatever we're, we're doing in our lives, what they're doing in their lives, help them to be the best version of themselves as they navigate this life full of plot twists. I really like how you've brought forward the idea of paying them for sharing their stories because it really shows that they have, and they have value anyway, but it helps in a physical way to demonstrate that they have value to give to their community, to give to the country through their participation. I think about it like this, right? When we think about value, there's a culture that is, you know, we got ads that constantly bombard the television screen, that bombards the internet, that bombards our phones. And guess what? There are people, there are entities, there are agencies that think these young people are so valuable that they are going to generate and drive profit for themselves. So if that's not an example of, yo, these young people are so valuable that people are willing to try to engage them in a way that they benefit from them, whether that be, hey, your kid is going to ask for the, this tour, right? That generates revenue for somebody else to produce the plastic, to produce that toy, which could possibly hurt the planet or whatnot, but it's going to drive their revenue up to where they become millionaires off of what they feel is the candy. You know, when it comes to shelving, they they say, whoa, we got kids running through the store, so we got to put the candy low so that they can see it because we know that there's a value on that, that young person when they walk through this aisle that we can leverage. Well, guess what? It's time to leverage their talents in a way that they can maximize and leverage resources to be the best version of themselves. Right, I love it. Well, let me ask you this then. How do youth, what, what do they need to do if they wanted to connect with you and work with your organization? And then on the flip side, how can organizations connect with you to become a member of what you do? So kind of a two-pronged question there. 
Yes. So great question. And when it comes to a young person engaging with us right now, their membership with us is free. They can go to our website, www.caluth.org and go to um, our membership and sign up as a young person. It is free for them. They get information as to what we have going out through to the community. Like for instance, sometime next week, there's a foster youth rights webinar that is happening. When it comes to agencies, they can go to our website, go to our membership and sign up there. And if they have questions, they can send me an email. I know right now is a time where, you know, engagement and people are caught in Zoom traffic and we know people don't like being in traffic. So we do our best to engage with folks. I know I do my best to communicate with folks, to sit and have conversations, to sit and just listen, to sit and just love. So they could definitely start off at that by going to our website or sending me an email. Okay. And so the organizations that you partner with, how many do you work with right now? I'm just curious how large your your membership is. So our membership is about several hundred. And again, that includes individuals, agencies. And again, we have folks from Southern California, Central California, and Northern California. And at this very moment, we are looking at our membership levels to figure out what is going to be the best way to engage some of our rural partners um, who are doing work, because we know that in the rural communities, that's another example of when we go to these tables and advocate for funding and resources, yo, the rural communities need support because guess what? They may not necessarily have the best broadband to be included into this digital virtual world that we're all pursuing right now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we do our best to elevate the opportunities to serve. And if anybody listening wanted to donate, do you accept donations? I realize it's a membership organization, so you get some funding through the membership, but can people donate as well? Oh, yes. Folks can donate to us, and it truly goes a long way. We're a small agency, small uh, 501c3, and the work that we're doing for you know the public policy and advocacy work has gone underfunded for quite some time. And we do the best that we can. You know, we we maximize and leverage different resources to be able to have what we need to continue to push forward. And we're always looking for opportunities to grow, hire more young people, to be engaged, to do the trainings, to do the peer-to-peer support. We're always looking for opportunities to expand how we think, how we love on young people and make sure that they have what they need to, to thrive. Can you hear all that in the background? Sorry. I can. <laughs> That's okay. Well, I tell you what, Javon, I really appreciate that you've taken the time to to share your story and share about your organization with us today. I tell you what, I would love to see a coalition for youth in every other state, a Nevada coalition for youth, a Pennsylvania coalition for youth. I think it would be amazing if you could expand and maybe beyond what, uh, what your plans are, but I just think that what you do is fantastic and definitely needed. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I do know that that will be amazing. And with that, you know, our, our service has been amazing and transferable. I do believe that one thing you got to do first is clean up your house. And in California, we got a lot of cleaning up to do. Um, we got a lot of work to do. 
And it's not to say that we're not doing great work. It's to say that we can do better. And we know that we've missed some opportunities to be at our best. So now's the time to start diving into that part of our mission, which is to allow for an inheritance of greatness for our young people to come. Well, I wish you all the best moving forward as we get through a winter in COVID and having to continue our virtual connections with each other. I I do wish you all the best and that your continued efforts continue to have big impacts there in the state. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Well, you're welcome. And for those who have listened to the end, thank you very much for doing so. We put out podcasts every couple of weeks or so. You can check back on our website agingoutinstitute.org or you can go to different podcasting stream services and look for our podcast there and continue to follow in that manner so thank you all very much